fiends and horror hounds. This is Brett from Dimension Z, joined as I always am by Greg of the Dead. How you doing, man? Doing good. Also joined by intern Corey. It's intern Corey Pick. Hello, man. Happy uh, birthday. I'm older. I'm not even going to make the joke today. That's my birthday present to you. Happy birthday. You know, and I even did my vocal exercises before I before this episode started for all the haze I figured I'd have to give. No, I think we'll, we'll be nice to you on your birthday today. You get one day a year. Is that why you picked the movie about the Elder Gods and everything? He's like one of them at this point. Basically. I'm not <laughs> show, show your tentacles, sir. You've earned them by now. So this was intern Corey pick for the month. Why in the mouth of madness? Um. Well, I love John Carpenter. He's great, as we all do. Um, this is definitely, I would say, one of his lesser known movies. Like, yeah, it's it's not the typical Carpenter style. Which, when I say that, I realize how weird that is to say because look at like the thing they live in Halloween. Like none of them really line up. So like, I guess he doesn't have like a pigeonhole style. But this feels really out of his style. Like, along yeah. with, like, his later movies he made, like, right towards the end of his career. Yeah. Um, and then this one, obviously, it's it's a Lovecraft adaptation-ish. Like, it's very loosely based on um, The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Like, very loosely. And it's just, it's one, I really just found this movie this year, and I really liked it. And I'm like, birthday present to myself, we're going to talk about it. Well, as soon as the Lovecraft stuff showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a reason why in turn picked this movie. But this I've loved Carpenter. Like I spent two hundred dollars to meet the man for three seconds. It's the most amount of money I've ever blown on the least amount of time. But it was totally worth it because I'm still looking at the autograph. But his 90s stuff, I've never really checked out. Like usually it's like Halloween, of course, and then like all of his 80s stuff I really enjoy. But after that, I've never really gone there so watching this it was interesting i definitely want to watch it again but there's a lot of it that was i was expecting like i was like okay it's going somewhere and then i see kind of where it went i, I it was okay this is definitely one i want to watch more i'm wondering this is going to be like an x thing where the first time i'm like eh, it's okay and then after that i'm like oh i love it that's kind of like how it will be like, th this movie grows on you, and once you're down with the concept, like, it's a new level then, if you ask me. Yeah. It's it's definitely a grower, not a shower. <laughs> but, yeah, you got to, uh, you, you got to, um, I would definitely recommend another watch or two, because you, you, just, you just start to pick up on the minute little details. Yeah. It. Also, dude, Sam Neill being in this movie, Sam Neill's an actor we don't talk enough about. I think this dude, anything he's in, he kind of ups that level. And it he's just one of those actors to me that's just always incredible in everything he's in. The dude's always on, I'm going to pretend I never saw Jurassic World Dominion or whatever the fuck it was. And then I can say that. And you're also going to want to kind of skip the fact that you saw Jurassic Park 3. You know, no, dude. No, I'm not even going against JP3. Alan, no. You like JP3? Now I do. The years have been kind to it for me. I didn't know. 
that's a, the reason why I kind of know this name, but don't really know him. He's Jurassic Park man, whatever. Big, yeah. Big CGI dinosaurs. Not CGI, my friend. Practical dinosaurs in the early ones. And, dude, he was in a Merlin miniseries, like, that was compressed into a movie similar to it. That's incredible and cheesy <laughs> from, like, the late 80s or early 90s that I recommend everybody watch. And let us not forget Event Horizon. Exactly. I still haven't seen that one either. Oh, that one's coming on the show. I believe our friend Maxwell, the man who's almost been on 50 episodes, has claimed that as one of his appearances. He keeps telling me. If he doesn't do it soon, it's going to be mine. (laughs) Alright, so In the Mouth of Madness from 1994, directed by John Carpenter. Did you guys feel like... I know there was... It wasn't like a huge feud, but there was some slight bad blood between him and Stephen King, if internet stories are to be believed, after the Christine and everything. Did some of this feel like he's taking some subtle shots at King? Oh, he definitely is. There's no way he's not. Because once again, Stephen King's like, eh, you didn't do my book right. Like, with The Shining, the masterpiece Stanley Kubrick put out in the world. No, he doesn't like it. I'm going to make my own version for tv and it's so much better no that's the version i like it's the same thing with this it's like christine is one of the best movies ever i love that movie so much i don't uh, like I, come on to calm down now it's a good movie i like it a lot it's so much fun <laughs> best What's movies last... ever well, it's great christine is me years old i believe we just did a top 100 horror movies list and christine did not show no, up so no, let's not but... say best movies ever you know what yeah. i mean I know what you mean. It's very good. I mean, he takes a not so subtle shot across Stephen King's bow when the when uh oh, Linda when when uh Styles says um Sutter Kane's new book will make you forget about Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> John Carpenter is like, I hope so. It's like who in this universe? It's like Stephen King who. No, it's Sutter Cable Kane now? Yeah. <laughs> so it starts with our opening credits, a bunch of books being printed by, by Sutter Kane, this huge horror author. And we're introduced to John Trent, played by Sam Neill. He's in a, put in a straight jacket and put it in a padded cell. Very much, um, I hate to bring it up to you, Brett, very much Curse of Frankenstein or suitable flesh style storytelling. With, yeah. Like, you have them at that end scene and well, tell me from the beginning, and that's our movie. It, it's a trope, but I, I'll allow it. I'm sorry about the balls! <laughs> <laughs> no, right away you have me, because you're right. It's very, like, well, we don't have the legend Peter Cushing, but... But he's put in the padded cell, and I love they start playing the Carpenters. No, not the Carpenters! Over the speaker. <laughs> Got the um a hand knocks on the window of john's room and then there's a figure in the cell with him like this is a rotten way to end it this is not the end you haven't read it yet so this is one of those how do i put it grand movies there's nothing simple to this plot at all it's lots of it's very lovecraftian which i 100 percent realize this is why Corey has chosen this movie yeah, it's very, it's, that's an, it's hard to grasp onto because it's very dreamlike and it's just like, it's 
just the story flows from one thing to another just very haphazardly but it like makes sense for the story and it's a good movie i liked it but it's just like one thing will flow into the other and there's no explanation but we're just there now and we're rolling with it so it's like okay I don't think it's haphazardly at all. I think it's very well strung together once we well, get yeah. to our end and we realize that everything that's happened. But as a first time watch, it's just like, okay, we're here now. Sure. I'm going with it. Yeah. The first time you watch this one, it's very, almost feels jumpy. Yeah. But on subsequent watches, you start to realize, you put the threads together and the movie just flows. The doctor goes inside the cell. It's like, I have an orderly with some very swollen testicles out there. <laughs> it's a lucky <laughs> shot. Um, and John has asked for a single black crayon and has drawn crosses everywhere, including himself. If you've seen any pictures from this movie, this is the picture that you've probably seen. No, I I've seen him either on the bus or in the movie theater, which is like the very end. I kept waiting for those to show up, being like, what are the two things I know of? Where he screams and then he laughs. Yeah, this and this is definitely the, I would say the most famous picture from this movie is him just sitting in the corner there with black crayon just all over his face. I'm guessing because they mentioned later where Sutter Kane, right? Like Kane Hodder? Okay. Yeah. Um. Is like, I'm bigger than the Bible. Is he trying to, like, if maybe he's like just like within 20 points of the Bible? So if I do enough crosses, <laughs> the Bible will win again, and then his world will like diminish or something. Where he's like, I gotta draw more. <laughs> I think it's just like, hey, it works on vampires. Yeah. But possibly. He says to the doctor, you want to hear about my them, don't you? My them, my them, my it. Every paranoid schizophrenic has one. You want to hear about mine? And we learn he was an insurance claim investigator. And it all started with the disappearance of Sutter Kane. And then it fades into our actual story from the beginning. John Trent disproves a property fire claim. And like... He's just, like, dropping his dick on the table to this dude. He's, like, pulling out pictures, like, oh, here's all your wife wearing all these clothes that were supposedly burned in the fire, and your mistress with all these clothes <laughs> in the fire, just dropping it all on this dude. This guy is the best at his job. Like, these expensive furs and everything. You want to talk about character actors. Peter Jason, this guy shows up in stuff all the time. You just see his face, and he's, like, the neighbor or, like, the guy at the golf club type thing. He was in They Live. And then he goes out to lunch to celebrate uh, with a business partner. And this madman with an axe, you see, like, from the window they're eating in across the street, goes, like, everyone's running from this dude coming out with an axe. Like, he has all crazy eyes and everything. And right when they say something about Sutter Kane, like, I want you to look, that's your next case or whatever... Dude smashes through their window with the axe, like, do you read Sutter Kane? And there's just conveniently a bunch of cops in this diner with them who open up fire on the dude and kill him. I love him going across the street, but it's, like, kind of slowly-ish. So he's, like, shambling. So people are, like, scurrying away from him. But you just see him in the foreground coming at you. So, like, to the point of, like, there's people standing at the patio at the restaurant they're at 
because he climbs over like the gate and they scurry away and he's like right there like right by the window that they're sitting at they have no idea and until the glass breaks of course but i just love the camera angle of him coming at them and going through the layers of like the people and like cars are like screeching and stuff I love the effect they did on his eyes. He, like, right when he says, D- have you read Sutter Kane? And his eyes kind of like, almost go like a goat's eyes. Yeah. I enjoyed that. At home, there's a news report about riots all over the country over out-of-stock Sutter Kane books. And some people are saying these books have an effect on people. And the next day, he goes to Arcane, Sutter Kane's publishing company. And... This is where he's talking to, like, the head guy. We're introduced to his assistant, uh, Linda Stiles, who will be a major character through the movie. Do you remember, it was, like, probably a decade or more ago, but there was that one, like, Harry Potter book that came out, and the people went driving by the bookstore, when, like, people are lined up for it, they're like, Dumbledore dies! And everyone's like, boo! And, like, throwing stuff at him. It's like, Sutter Kane is now God! They're like, boo! Don't spoil it! Dude, uh, yeah, they flipped to the end of the book and did that. I was going to do that. Uh, I can spoil this now. It's been out since 2015. When Force Awakens came out. Corey, you saw it with me. You may remember. Uh, my plan was to go to the next showing after me and just yell at them, Chewie kills Han. But I didn't <laughs> due to obvious events in that movie. I'm like, you know what? I better not. <laughs> yeah, I I really feel like Star Wars fans would have taken you out on that one. Oh, oh yeah. Be- some of them have lightsabers, so and exactly. those are like hard. Some of them are hundreds of dollars, so you could get whacked in the head. How'd Greg die? <laughs> <laughs> but this is where we get our Stephen King dig we're talking about, and he's been gone for two months. New chapters arrived by mail two weeks ago, and you already met his agent. That was the man with the axe. And I like his reaction. He's like, who? When did I meet the agent? It's like the man with the axe. It's like, him? That's the agent? They're like, yeah, he read the book. They say his writing has an effect on less stable readers. Um, I don't know. Maybe even if like there's a chance you read this book that you're just going to turn into a madman with an axe. I'm probably not rolling the dice on it. I don't care how good it is. And I really enjoy following john trent's character through this where he's the entire time being like i like what you guys have going on like this is going to be a hell of a marketing stunt like you're going to sell a lot of books like are you sure you want me to dig into this deeper or am i just going to play along they're like no he's actually missing and it's like oh okay sure yeah the this the descent into madness of John Trent's character into this is honestly second to very few movies for, you know, a lead character just going insane. Is he descending into madness or is he seeing reality, Corey? I don't know. Could be both. Get some more background on Kane. He became convinced his writing was real and... Linda Stiles is his editor. She's one of the only people who's read some of the new book and everything. And she's like hook, line, and sinker on this Sutter Kane train. She's like all for it's the best writing ever, all that kind of stuff. Which leads me with like 
does style the styles know what's going on the whole movie or is she is she also you know just discovering is it going on or does styles even exist is she even real or is she just real because she was written to be real yeah depends how she was written brett you know that tim and eric me or a gif where it's like yeah that's this whole movie yeah (laughs) Uh, John's buying some Sutter Kane books at the bookstore, and the clerk comes up to him, weird eyes and all. He sees you. He sees you. <laughs> he say like, "Well, tell him I said hello." Anyways, <laughs> some Sutter Kane. I think he just bought this dude's entire bibliography in one go. But this guy is not a Stephen King, where he has the book is like two feet deep. These are like little goosebumps things you would read in like middle school. They're like flip through books. Let's be real. They weren't goosebumps length. As a goosebumps aficionado. No, they were much larger than that. But I know what you're saying. They but were yeah, smaller. They're, so, they're, they're somewhere in between it and, you know, Night of the Living Dummies. <laughs> yes, somewhere in there. Um, On the way home, he sees a cop beating up a dude in an alleyway. And when he goes to sleep that night, he has a nightmare about it. And the Agent Axe Man is in the nightmare and goes, he sees you to him again. And there's a zombie horde, like, possessed people out there and everything. It reminds me of Prince of Darkness. I enjoy when he goes up and he sees the cop beating, like, what I'm guessing is a teenager who was spray painting an already spray painted alleyway and the cop is just beating the fuck out of him and then the cop just turns around and goes you want some to the man in the suit <laughs> well you gotta watch out for them suit wearing fellas Brett they're uh they'll get you the, the kid literally got like I and then like a C and an A and that's all the further he got until now he has brain damage <laughs> <laughs> Those are some pretty dangerous letters. Yeah, you don't know where that was going. But he wakes up all panicked and turns next to him and Agent Zombie Man is on the couch. We have the, we thought you were awake, but you're really not scared. And then he wakes up for real. Which, I'm I'm saying it cheesily, but I'm actually always a fan of those. Yeah, I enjoy that. I enjoy that, 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 like, double scare there. It depends on how they do it. This was okay, if I remember right. Once again, I need to watch it again. You just watched it like an hour ago. Yeah, but this is one of those thinking movies. This isn't just like a Friday the 13th where it's like, oh, Jason kills the person. No, this is like, there's a dream and then he woke up and is he in another dream or is a reality and there's Cthulhu creatures and... It's like, I had to turn on my brain. I don't like it. Well, it takes a lot. It's not just to settle in like, oh, let's have a fun night of watching In the Mouth of Madness. No, you're going to have to like really pay attention to some stuff. But he cuts up these outlines that are on the book cover, he realizes, and it makes a map that goes to New Hampshire. And he's telling the publishers he found where he is somewhere in New Hampshire, and they're going to go to Hobbs Head, which is the fictional town in a lot of his writing. Once again, he's like, you guys are putting on an amazing contest. You cut out the covers, and then you find the location, and then you get, like, a Sutter Kane lunchbox or something, he says, which I think's funny. It's like, everything has a lunchbox. 
I, I want to in the mouth of madness lunchbox. And it's Hobbs <laughs> and Gregory. Not, not Hobbs Thank and you. The publisher insists that Lin- Linda Styles goes with him. Um, I, th- I think John had a little bit of a thing for her earlier too, so he doesn't seem to mind this suggestion. Well, you know, he's hoping this is going to be like a Halloween three type situation of we're going to immediately get into the hotel room and she's going to be like, where do you want to sleep, Mr. Trent? Well, that's a very dumb question. <laughs> See, he's not where he screwed up. He's not nearly drunk enough and no mustache. No, there's no six packs grabbing like every like other scene where we know he's finished that six pack off. He's got to get his road six pack to get there. I love the fact that in the Halloween 3, they made a Tom Atkins action figure from that movie, and it comes with a six-pack of beer. It needs an action beer, of course. Well, they're driving. They take shifts driving. When Linda is driving, she sees people riding bikes and this old lady on a bike, and she says, I can't get out. Oh, well, she hits the old lady. My mistake. No, that's (laughs) John Carpenter. into her. That's John, that's John Carpenter? Carpenter? Yeah, on the bike. Yeah. That's in no makeup or anything. That's just what he looks like. Oh. <laughs> He's making the funny. <laughs> There's no point of view that saw, like, the old man or whatever. Because it's the little kid. Because remember, she passes the little kid on the bike with the... When you'd put, like, the baseball cards Card on the, the wheels, yeah. And it would make it sound like a motorcycle. And then all of a sudden he's old. And then uh, she hits him with the car and he goes, he won't let me leave. It's the little kid. He's riding his bike all his life. I didn't realize that was an old man she hit. I thought it was an old lady. No, it's the little kid, the little boy that grew up and is now bike man. That was lost on me. Yeah, it's John Carpenter. He wasn't that old here. (laughs) This was in the (laughs) 90s. But it's a, they find Hobbs End, and she gets through basically the Willy Wonka scary tunnel covered bridge when she's going yeah. through, and all these lights are flashing and everything. She gets there. Uh, John wakes up, like, oh, we're here. Oh, you found it. Good job. She's like, you drive. And she's all freaked out and everything. Because I'm horrified by heights because they're driving along, and like the middle, like lines disappear in the middle of the night. And she's like, oh, that's kind of weird. And she, maybe it's fog. And she looks out her window and it's still just pitch black. And she looks down and there's like a thunder strike or whatever. And you just see the clouds light up under her. And so she's just driving in the sky. And that's when it transports the scary bridge thing. And they're like, oh, you got here already. It's like very like Pee Wee Herman's big adventure kind of. Tell them large Marge sent well, Yeah, where it's like pitch black and like you can't see anything. And all of a sudden he's just at a place. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. But they get there. It's a ghost town. They do find a little hotel, and they ask the lady at the front desk, oh, you bet you get a lot of tourists coming here for Sutter Kane. She's like, I don't know anybody with the last name Kane, no. And then the then she looks at me and goes, check the name tag, John Trent. You're in my world now. This is Grandma from Happy Gilmore. Oh, Frances Bay, I, she's an amazing old lady character actor. Where you see her show up every once in a while, and every single time it's like, it's the greatest, like, nicest looking grandma there's ever been. I just want her to make me cookies. I love her in this one. I love her in this one so much. Oh, yeah, especially later. Like, it's because you know, she usually probably has to just play like the normal little grandma, like, role kind of thing. This one probably, she's like, well, at least it gets to get changed up a little bit. 
they get to the room and Linda is all freaked out. That's definitely Mrs. Pickman from the book. And it's just like, maybe his writing is real. And John's like, Mrs. Pickman was a lady who axe murdered her husband. That was a sweet old lady out down there. You're going crazy. <laughs> There's no way that sweet little old lady with the cookies can kill her husband with an axe. We'll find out later. But you don't know exactly at first. Are they like in some like dire situation or are they just really old and they're into some like BDSM stuff? It's like the couple from X. They're like, we're old, but we still bone hard. Oh, Harold. You stay quiet down there in your handcuffs. We have visitors. They explore the town, and she's realizing everything in town lines up perfectly with his work. And they get to the church, and a bunch of cars pull up, and a bunch of men with guns get out and yell, Kane, give him back! Dude, so like, it's almost like they're in a simulation, though. Because, like, no one pays them any attention until they interact with anybody. Is Vigo? Is Titanic? Yeah, I guess I had that one. <laughs> yes, Vigo the Carpathian. Were if if anyone doesn't know, because no one listened to that episode uh, when we did Sharktopus, Corey got very <laughs> ang- Brett got very angry at Corey because Corey stole his Titanic joke, it's and so one- now. If you're following, this is the payoff of Brett getting his revenge by stealing the Vigo reference from Corey. It's Vigo! Yeah, more people, more people listen to it than they did Curse of Frankenstein. Nah. That's true. Well, we That's have to true. check those numbers. They may have updated. Nope. No, we I, don't. I listen to it I every night. Regularly. they at the church, and the door opens and closes. There's a little kid there as the door's opening and closing, and then Sutter Kane's there. By God, that's gotta be Kane. And pack of dogs shows up and chase the locals away mauling some of them so i'm assuming these are all like things in his horror novels that happen and it's just like all happening at once similar to like the 2015 or whatever goosebumps movie where just all these books are happening in the real world he's really treating his power a lot better than i would because if i was like whatever i write will happen Brett from Dimension Z has a dozen chicken wings from Al's Tavern right beside him. Oh my god! And that's as far as I would go for a little bit. I mean, my chicken wings are gone. Brett has another dozen chicken wings! (laughs) Intern Corey gets a beer. (gasps) Oh, German! Pack of dogs, like I said, chase them away. John and Linda get back to the car, and this little girl standing there goes, I see. And Back to the room. John thinks all of this is staged. He's all mad about it and everything. He's like, this is ridiculous. I know what you're doing. He plays a skeptic character very well in this type of movie. I forget yeah. at what point in the room this happens, but at one point he sits down, he's watching TV, and there's like an ape man with a, uh, uh at- astronaut mask on. That is Robot Monster from 1953. Nice. 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 Linda reveals he's half right. This was staged. They sent Kane away, but none of this was supposed to happen. And he wants to skip to the end of the new book, or she does, and then she just starts, like, kissing him like a woman possessed. Like, she's like... Like, basically, when you take two toys, like two dolls, you go, now kiss, is the way they're kissing, like, right here. For the listener, me and intern just got to see, like, when Greg's about to make out with you and he's coming at you with tongue. We just got to see that where he's like, uh. 
Well, I was trying to do it all like half, like dead, like she is in this scene. I'm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> she won't leave with him. He goes, well, then have a nice bus ride home. And he's leaving. Um, talks to the front desk lady one more time. And like trying to get any information out of her. She's not budging. Oh, this is also where, like, all of a sudden, like, they're kind of talking, and they're talking about the picture, like, the painting on the wall that keeps changing and stuff. At certain points, they're holding hands, and then they're holding hand another way. Now they're creatures and stuff. And um, John hears, like, a noise come from, like, under the desk, and he's like, what was that? And she, like, kind of kicks, and you hear, like, oh, and he's like, no, it's nothing. You have a good day, sir. And then he leaves. It's like, I told you to be quiet. You'll get yours. And it's like an old naked man is um, fucking tied to her ankle. <laughs> it's like straight up handcuffed to her ankle. Like, this is her gimp. There's only one thing you can reach, and I want you to play with it the whole time I'm at the counter. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> oh, I feel ya. But during this, Linda has the keys, and she takes off and leaves him behind. John's at a bar, and this patron there is warning him to leave. And while this is going on, Linda has made it to the church, and there's just a bunch of fucking mutant kids that go, You're my mommy. It's mommy's day. <laughs> Want to talk about some nightmare fuel there? And the patron in the bar was also Vigo? Is Vigo. Oh, it? It's Vigo again. I cannot, you know what will get me back into the Ghostbusters franchise? I'll be like, okay, this next Frozen um, Day After Tomorrow movie they're doing, bring Vigo back. I, and also bring back his little lackey with, like, the weird voice. Because Vigo is nothing without the guy to go, here's Vigo, to him. Listen, Brett, no one cares if you get back into Ghostbusters, because me and Corey are excited, and we're going to go see it and say, fuck you, and have a great time. We'll, we'll do our first Brettless episode about it. No, there's no such thing as a Brettless episode. Oh, yes, I'm the there only is. One that has been on every single episode. Uh, Brett forgets who controls all the uploading and editing and everything. He doesn't even need to know. He wakes up one day and there's a new episode up. That's Brett? Always... Brett? Um, <laughs> I think Greg has just realized that he's God. Liz finds me hanging in the bathroom. What happened? What caused it? There's just a Brettless throbbing. John's back in the room as Linda's wandering around the church, and she finds Kane using a typewriter, and the door slams shut behind her, and he, and he realizes, I thought I was making this all up, but they were telling me what to write, giving me the power to make it all real, and there's a pulsing slimy door, and he touches her head, and she has all these weird visions, and her eyes start bleeding, but then we pan to the back of his head, and holy shit, it's malignant! Yeah, it's Gabriel is all of a sudden in this movie. I saw that. I was like, what the fuck? I actually kind of got more like Pumpkinhead vibes from it. Like, just the way it looked. It looked like Pumpkinhead to me almost. <laughs> it's like the first Harry Potter movie with the turban dick. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter on the back of the head. <laughs> but back in the room with John, she's like, I'm losing me. And warns him not to read the book. And John goes to the front desk, nobody's there, and the painting changes again, hears a noise, and follows it because he doesn't realize he's in a horror novel. What he finds is Mrs. Pickman turned into the thing, pretty much here yeah. at this point. Dude, there's a lot of thing-like effects in this movie, and I love it. 
Uh, well, this is where she gets her ten tit pulls. Yes. Because the well, tentacles are coming out of her boobies. As you get older, they probably start sagging more. And then she just, you know how, like, there's some women that are, like, real buff and they can, like, flex them and stuff? It's like that, but she's older. And she can make them <laughs> slither like a snake. And she's killing the husband and hacking with an axe and all this fun stuff. Um, He goes back to the room and Linda, like, has these tentacles coming out from under the door and they back up to her and everything when he gets to the door. And she's all like a monster thing. And he drives away. She comes out of the bathroom with just the creepiest, like, calm smile on her face. Dude, and is this even her or is this a replica? Because he drives away here and then sees her again in the road with a bunch of kids ritualistically circling around her. I I think at this point, the lines between... Like, what he perceives as reality and what Kane perceives as reality are becoming completely and totally blurred. Back in the bar, the Vigo just shoots himself right before he says, I have to. He wrote me this way. And with a shotgun, he carries Linda to the car and then, like, is trying to get her to go. But she has the keys and she's just like, ah, ah. And she swallows the keys. And I'm like, no! As he reaches for him, it's like when your dog finds something on the floor and you're trying to get them to not eat it. He's just spitted out. And he's, like, shoving his, like, fingers down her, like, throat trying to get the keys. The thing is, like, what do you have? What do you have? And your dog's like, rrr, rrr, rrr. It, And all of a sudden, think they're playing. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. <laughs> and then he just takes out a knife and, like, a badass stabs it into the ignition and turns on the car that way. Are there any cars today that still work this way? I don't believe so. But because most of them have push buttons start now. Oh, I'm not even there yet. I don't have that yet. Uh, so you either. might be able to start like mine that way. The Corey's you have to take the like knife out and you just push the push button start with the knife. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I forgot he, he punches her out because she's being oh, yeah. cooperative before he does this. I don't know why. But every time this happens in a movie where, like, the woman will hit the guy and the woman's, like, evil and she gets full on, like, punched. It's always just like, oh, Jesus Christ, but it makes me laugh. It's, like, so out of the ordinary. It's just like, oh, fuck. But they're driving away. She starts stirring. She goes, Kane's writing me. He wants me to kiss you. He's like, why? And she's like, it's good for the story. <laughs> We need romance in the story, the publisher said. He sees the old man on the bike again, and then, but then he gets out, and then contorted Linda comes crawling out of the car, and the cane has a job for you. And at this point, he's just leaving her. He drives away alone. The road glows, and he's back in town. Like, oh, I must have taken a wrong turn. And he just keeps driving in this, like, reality loop that just keeps putting him right back in town over and over again. I enjoy they did it. He did it like four times of like, well, maybe if I do it enough times, it'll work before he's like, okay, I'll just drive through the crowd. Also, this movie came out in 1994. There's a lot of tentacle stuff and like kind of sexy Lovecraftian thing going on. Imagine being the person that watches this movie in 1994 before like tentacle porn is just all <laughs> over the internet. And you're like, fuck, this gets me so hard. 
but I have nothing but mouth of badness. Nothing else exists for me except this. I guess I can watch an octopus documentary. <laughs> Dude, there are some old Japanese tapes you can find. You can like you just had to buy physical <laughs> copies. It's like um, it's um, John Trent at the uh, beginning when he's drawing all the crosses in his cell, but it's just tentacles everywhere. <laughs> but he ends up crashing the car, and he wakes up in a confessional with Sutter Kane on the other side. And I love he just tells him your books suck. Yeah, <laughs> like this, this basically God is what he tells this to. Well, I also this it, one. I love his line of so because uh, Sutter. This is when Sutter Kane is like around this time. He's like, my books have been read more than the Bible, and it's like, oh, so God's uh, like dethroned by some cheap horror writer. And he goes, this one will drive you absolutely mad appears on his side of the confessional, grabs him, and they teleport to the typewriter room. And this is where, like, everything's kind of revealed here. He gives him the finished pages. He goes, this was all written. The agent tried to stop it from happening. So the dude at the beginning was actually trying to stop the apocalypse and the end of the world and everything by killing John Trent, which would stop all this from going into motion. Oh, yeah. I'm glad he failed. Which is interesting at this point, because we've learned that, like, only a couple people so far have read the, like, whole thing, or, like, where it's up to at this point, and they're the ones that have gone the most mad. Yeah. A tunnel appears, and Sutter Kane goes, your world lies beyond that passage. He's gonna let him go. Like, nothing weird here. Very Hellraiser. The tunnel to the Nostromo just, like, opens up here. And Kane pulls himself out of the page. Like, he just starts disappearing, and then the screen rips, like, into a black hole by the slimy door. And John walks over to it and looks on the other side, and you see words and everything that was pages written here and everything. You want to talk about Scream being meta? They literally ripped themselves out of a horror book and jumped off the screen. <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking wild here. And Linda's narrating everything he's doing, like reading the book. Like, he looked to the edge of the void and everything, yeah. like, as he's doing it. And then these monstrous creatures start approaching, and John turns to the Eurealis through that passage and starts booking it because all these, like, stop motion, small soldier, slimy monsters are coming after him at this point. They, a lot of these creatures start to remind me of the, um, Fuck, what are they called in Basket Case 2 and 3? The interesting-looking persons? The, unique monsters, yes. the unique-looking persons. Yes. Yeah. Freak monsters. No, the unique persons. Freak have... monsters. They they had a dude with a moon head, Brett. Yeah. Freak monsters. There was a frog and a... Person. There was a gargoyle creature. That's not a person. What about the um guy with the giant mouth that could sing opera? He's fine. He's, he's, yes, unique person. Most yeah. of them, though, freak monsters. That sounds like Greg is freak shaming. I know. I am, yes. But he runs through the tunnel to reality, falls, and wakes up in a, a country road in the middle of it. A paper boy comes by and gives him directions, and he hitchhikes to a motel, and then I guess everything's over. It was all a well, dream. Sutter Kane gives John Trent, basically, the finished manuscript. Yes. And 
is like let free of like it is your job to take this into the world i've written this in this book that you're going to do this so you have to do this so i enjoy that like he like all of a sudden is at the crossroads he immediately just drops the book like fuck this i'm not going to bring it to the world and he gets picked up and he goes to a motel and they're immediately like oh here's a package for you they're like he's like who do those who i'm here and he goes and he rips the book over. He says, it's, it's the mouth of badness. And he's like, goes back. He yells at him again. And he starts burning it one by one. But he just cannot escape it. Because then he almost does like a flash forward thing once again. And they're like, what do you mean? This book has been out for like two years and the movie's coming out soon. Was the book slash movie within the movie called In the Mouth of Madness or Mouth of Madness? It was called In the Mouth of Madness. Okay, I didn't know if they added an extra layer of meta to it, where that was called Mouth of Madness, and that's why the real movie is In the Mouth of Madness. Okay, never mind. I just didn't know if they are going that clever with it. But no, he burns that book that arrived at the motel, too. He's riding a bus, falls asleep, and wakes up to Kane next to him. Did I just talk about how he's God now? He goes, did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? And then John wakes up, and everything is blue. And we get him. He wakes up on the bus. And this is like probably one of the clips that everyone knows. Is he wakes up and everything's blue. Of the point of it looks like they painted the people blue. And it's just like a giallo like blue filter on everything. He's just. Ah! Ah! Just screaming looking all around. And everyone's like. What the fuck's going on to the point that then they're waking him up? Like the bus drivers pulled the bus over, is like shaking him awake and is like, Sir, you had a nightmare. You're okay. See, that's where you know that Sutter Kane is actually God because he predicted the band Eiffel 65 years before it came out. I'm blue. Dabbity, dabbity, dabbity. <laughs> I was thinking of Viva LaBam. Hey, Phil, what's your favorite color? Blue. <laughs> and they painted everything in the house like blue. Even, including even the bananas. Yes. Including Phil. But he gets back finally and talks to the publisher and tells him what happened and everything. And apparently Linda didn't exist. He goes, no, I didn't send you with any assistant. I sent you off alone. Like, no one went with you. And this is where he's just going crazy and everything. And he tells him, don't publish the book. It's going to drive everyone crazy. He goes, I hope so. The movie comes out next month. This seems like... How is the movie coming out next month? When the book was not written until a day ago. This is my biggest complaint well, in the movie. It's, it's a time jump. Because time doesn't exist, Gregory. And probably, like, it was probably still just delivered to the publisher anyway. If he can deliver it to john anywhere i'm sure the publishers got their hands on it yeah because they mentioned like oh we got this so long ago you delivered it to us like two years ago whatever and the movie's coming out you know all this it's like one of those weird things it's um what's that uh the movie click with adam sandler where he can like fast forward through yeah. his life and all of a sudden yeah. he'll just like appear and he'll be like all of a sudden he's aware but he's like what do you mean i made plans how how old am i I did not anticipate two Adam Sandler movie references throughout this movie. I know. <laughs> but I mean, to be fair, I wake up most days going, where am I? How old am I? 
You're just trying to make me make the jokes. I swore I would not. Corey, you're not that old, man. You're doing good. No, you're a young guy. Yeah. Now you guys are making me feel bad. You're you're not even forty. You're like about to be forty. Like you know, uh, on release day, he is. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Day this is released, I'll be forty. At as of time of recording, I am. I have ten days left in my thirties. Hey, I've I've heard is a very young age, by the way. I've heard from so many people that 40 is like the decade to live through. Like the 40s yeah, are amazing. Of yeah. Y- young man's game. You guys wait till you hit 35. Just wait till everything starts hurting. It feels Even the weird. things you didn't know you had. It feels weird to be nice to Corey. Yeah, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. Oh! I don't like it either. Ooh! Hey! Hey! But this is what, probably my favorite scene in the movie. This is the book release and the news crews there and everything. Everyone's lined up for the last. And they said posthumous release from Sutter Kane. Like everyone knows he's dead. And like, so this is going to be his last book. The lines are crazy. Some young guy comes out all excited with his new Sutter Kane book. I guess he read it already. I don't know. Because John Trent's there. He goes, how's the book? And the dude's eyes are bleeding. He goes, I loved it. And John just picks up an axe and axes the man on the sidewalk right there. Well, he goes, well, you know what part's coming up next then? Because at this point, John's like, I have no control over it. This is happening. Well, at this point, if you look at like all the prom- all the promo materials for the book, it's John Trent's picture on the yeah. cover of the book. Dude, he could have just made a killing at cons if he didn't go crazy here. Just show up as I... the dude who the cover of Mouth of Madness was based on. Yeah. But back to the cell, the doctor's leaving, and John says, every species can smell its own extinction. And so you realize anyone who reads the book or sees the movie is going to contribute to the end of humanity, pretty much. Well, I enjoy that John Trent at this point, like you said, we're at the, we're caught right back up to where we are, like presently in the story, what's going on right now in the story. John's in the cell and he's been interviewed by the detective and John's kind of goes like, it's going to, it's going nuts out there, isn't there? Everything's going to shit. Yeah. It's, it's because of the book. And the detective goes, well, what about people who don't read? He's like, the movie's coming soon. He's like, oh yes, yes. The the movie. Then. So the doctor leaves, John's in his cell and hears all this madness outside and then just stops, gets dead quiet, so pounding on the door and the door just opens. He goes outside and there's a mess everywhere. Like everything's disheveled. There's papers, chairs overturned, everything in the asylum. Goes outside and an emergency broadcast is heard by us saying the city is mostly deserted. There's no emergency services at all. He walks past the movie theater and on the marquee in the mouth of madness with John Trent, it says. Yeah, and this is one of the scenes that you also know, along with the bus, of he when he goes wandering into the theater and he sits down and he's basically watching the movie that we've all been watching at this point. And he's like, oh, all of this is just real now in this movie and what's real and what's fake. And he starts laughing. And then he goes, and somehow madness feels good in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a nice big old popcorn, sits down, and is watching the movie, and just starts laughing hysterically at the whole thing, and credits on In the Mouth of Madness. 
This is one of the few that John Carpenter only directed. He neither wrote it nor produced it. Uh, nope, he did not only direct it. Music oh, he, by John Carpenter. Oh, music. Okay, I, I forgot about that he is also a composer. The, the John Carpenter quadfecta. Dude, dude, and his music is honestly some of the best things about him, and he's one of the best directors, in my opinion, of all time. So that's saying something if the music stands out for him that much. Yeah. I... John Carpenter's definitely a top five composer. No, this one, this this was a fun watch for me for sure. Like, I I definitely want to see it again. Um, I'm gonna give it a little time in between, I think, but this is definitely one I want to watch again. I thought it was all right. Like, it was kind of interesting. It was kind of fun to see John Carpenter doing little digs at Stephen King type things. I liked a few of the character actors that showed up. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I I like this is weird, but follow me on this comparison. It reminds me of the Truman Show. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little like, bit. Man's not in control of his destiny. Everything is predetermined around him, and everything like that. And basically, for a show, and I love that movie. And I like that this just did it on this bigger, gr- grander, more terrifying scale, dealing with apocalypses and the end of the world and everything like that. I'm just really glad Brett, like, not only liked one of my picks, but wanted to watch it again. That does not happen all that often. Well, it's a weird, it's it's confusing, but it's interesting enough where I'm like, I'd like to understand it more. I think the last one this really happened with was Dude Bro. Yeah, Dude Bro ruled. You did great. That was a that year bit. ago. All right. You guys ready for some Count of the Dead? Let's get into the Count of the Dead. Ah, ah, ah. All right, the Throbbing with Horror Count of the Dead's where tally all the deaths in the movie. Where do you guys think we got with In the Mouth of Madness? Like, what deaths count and what ones don't? I know. Because, like, like, like Vigo, did Vigo exist? So did he die? I will say I did count Vigo. Okay. Let me go five. I'll go six. I went three. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we had the agent at the beginning. We had yeah. Vigo. And there was another one in there, and I don't remember who it was. But I wrote down the three. That, the, the, guy, the guy that uh, that John Trent axed at the end there. Yes, that was it. Those were the three that counted. Okay. Well, it's Greg's count of the dead. Ah, ah, ah. Now we're getting into my ratings from Dimension Z. So basically, I'll take something from the movie and I'll rate the movie 1 through 10, 1 being the worst and 10 being the best. Now come with that thing right now. So we already talked about it a little bit, and this whole story is, this whole movie is about um, kind of like writing your own future type thing. Whatever you write is going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. more, I'm going to take this more of we're like a, the John Trent character. So we're being written for, so we have no control over it. So is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? What's our story? Well, life's a simulation anyway. So yeah, it's kind of true. Yeah. Ow! No, that's still, I'm awake. Um, so a number one version of the Brett story is like, I, I wake up and I'm in like a tank of poop. And there's a window, and I look out the window, and I'm really high up in the air. 
and I can escape the tank, but to get through it, there's bees. And I have to get through the bees. And then it's just me falling. This sounds terrible. I agree that would be a one. Yes. That, that's a whole yeah, story. Like, I don't mind bees, but that's still a one for me, too. Yeah, I, I don't mind bees or heights. I think everyone, yes, minds poop. But still, like, yeah, that's a one for sure. This like my Oh, there's some people out there that don't mind poop. Right, right. That's fair. Yes. It's, Go it's talk like, to those people. All three things, I'm just like, this would be terrible. Um, a number 10 for Brett from Dimension Z would, it's just kind of doing what I do now, but like Bella Lugosi hangs out with me and like Greg Sestero comes over with pizza every once in a while and we're like best friends. And then like, oh, look, is that Ed Wood coming? I didn't know he was going to make it to this quadruple feature. And he also has like, he brought like wings. It's that like pesky restraining order Greg Sestero has doesn't exist anymore. It's like all these like movie people and stuff that I like, and they come over with food and they watch movies with me. I will say, Brett, that is some of your finest shoehorning of things you love into an episode that has nothing yeah. to do with any of them that you've ever done. Because it's great, because it's all about whatever's written into your story. Um, in Mouth of Matt, like I said, this is one I want to revisit for sure. I feel like this is going to be like kind of an X. Thing possibly where I rated it kind of low at first and it went up for me. So I'm going to rate this a six, like I did with X. Of I, the first time I watched it, I had fun with it. I feel like I need to understand it more to fully enjoy it, but I feel like on multiple watches, you would get there. So I would say it's definitely worth one watch, if not more. Um, I've watched it a couple times now. Like it was, I watched it for the first time this year. Is it, um, I was scrolling through YouTube's section of free movies and I saw it yeah. there. I'm like, I'm like, Oh cool. I'm going to watch it. And, um, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with an eight on this mm-hmm. one. After the multiple watchings, um, you know, the Lovecraft of it all. Uh, I love Sam Neill. I love John Carpenter. I just, I really like this movie. That is also true of this is a very accessible movie. This isn't like some of them where it's like super hard to find. It's on YouTube officially for free. Yeah. Released by YouTube movies. Yeah. So the way I'm coming at this is I have seen it before. So I don't have that initial like what the fuck of it all. And this movie hits on a lot of things I really like. One, I love the cast in it. I like the directing, obviously. The music solid. And just the themes it hits. One, like that whole... I love that paranoid your life is being written for you type thing. And I love my big apocalyptic, like, just downer ending movies and everything like that. So I'm throwing a perfect end. I, this oh, scored a wow. 10. Wow. I like this nice. movie a lot. And like you, Brett, it wasn't a 10 the first time I saw it. It was, it was okay. favorable. But upon rewatches and now, like, when I'm actually digging into that story and everything, it, it's 10 for me. We're like, we were kind of talking off Mike Greg about like, we want to watch all of Carpenter's stuff because I haven't seen all of his movies. I was, like, I was happy to knock another one off my list and I'm glad that I liked it, you know? Yeah. Wow. I, I can't believe I got a 10 out of Greg on that one. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. You got a solid 10 out of this one. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Happy birthday, Corey. Well, thank you. Happy birthday, internal ancient one. The young man sitting hey. before us. <laughs> I got an ancient hay that time. I like it. <laughs> an eldritch hay. 
Yeah, but thank you for a pick. Uh, a, a movie that I've never seen before, and I definitely want to watch again. That's what I kind of like about like the intern Corey picks. If I would never have watched Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, now I own it on Blu-ray, and I love it so much. They do little splashes in the water. He loves that splashing so much. It's so funny. Well, unless you guys have anything else. Nah. Well, we hope that the In the Mouth of Madness has left your brain throbbing with horror. Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. Well, that was a fun episode, wasn't it? Be sure you tune in next week for another fun episode. And be sure to check out all our social medias. Just look for the Throbbing with Horror Pumpkin. I hear the guy that runs them is really great.